Hey everybody, this is Brian Brodeur, and I am happy to have actor, producer, writer, Alex Aldea sitting in, guest hosting for me for a few sessions. He'll have some great conversations with creative professionals and independent film luminaries. So take it away, Alex. Alex Aldea here as guest host for East Main Media Podcast, and joining me today is Seth Everett. Thank you for being on the show. No problem. That was a very formal intro. Yes, it's very NPR-ish of me, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Welcome today to on the Fresh show. Air. No, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> tell me you about your childhood. Yes, yes. Tell me all about it. Who is Seth Everett? Who? <laughs> <laughs> That's very James Lipton of me. Yes. Who is Seth tell Everett? Tell me. Mike. Yes. So what's going on, man? Nothing Thanks for man. having me. Thank you. You're nice very studio welcome. you got here. Thanks. Thanks so much. Helps on a podcast because the listener can really tell. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Well, they can tell from the quality of the sound, hopefully. But yeah. Right, because that's why they're listening. <laughs> I so, am an audio snob, though. You're I, so I, jaded. I, I am a big-time audio snob. You have to be super famous to be able to call in on a cell phone. Yes, that um, is 100% In my history true. of podcasts, the only guests I've had on a cell phone mm-hmm. were Bob Costas and Allie Raceman, the gymnast. Okay. I had 10 minutes with Allie Raceman, if that. Right. And so they were like, she's calling in from the car. That's the best you're getting. And I was like, no problem. Please, thank you. Love it. You had a podcast before there were podcasts. Yes. <laughs> I have a long history. Can with we chat about that for a second? Sure. How did that origin come up The story? Yes. Uh, the origin story for podcasting, I was working for Major League Baseball at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a show called MLB Radio. This was the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be on satellite, but satellite hadn't really launched yet. And Bob Bowman, the executive of MLB Advanced Media, decided to sign a three-year exclusivity deal with, remember the company Real Audio? Yes. Remember yes, that? Yes. I absolutely do. So our show was streaming on Real Audio. And then in 03, our show was starting to pick up popularity. And the only reason why was because MLB.com was putting our picture on the homepage whenever we were live. Oh, so awesome. people were clicking on it at work or whatever. And we had this meeting, and I would give credit to the person. I, if I knew who the guy was, but it was about 10 guys and girls in a room, and we were talking about how the exclusivity for real mm-hmm. was gone. And we were still going to use real, but we didn't have to be exclusive to real. What could we do to make the show better? Mm-hmm. And somebody said, why don't we take a sliver of it, like 45 minutes to an hour of it, make it an MP3? Because iPods were the rage at this point. Mm -hmm. And what we could do is if you could make a link on the MLB.com site that had millions of viewers every day, if you could make the MP3 available and with instructions on how to put it on your iPod. Mm -hmm. So people at work would have iTunes on their computers. They would download our show. They would put it on a playlist, and then they would listen to our show at times. And I remember we used to have a joke because we had heard the word podcast, mm-hmm. and we would tell callers, like if they would make a stupid trade, they would say, oh, I want to trade, you know, Don Manningly or whoever it was. You know, Derek Jeter's going to go to the Red Sox. Like they would say <laughs> some stupid trade, and I would go, do you think that's worthy of the podcast? You're not getting on the podcast with crap like that. Like we used to say, <laughs> joke around like that. And that's how I became affiliated with the word podcast. So technically we were doing podcasts before they were called podcasts. That's amazing. And then now you've got how many podcasts? Well, I own two. Two. And then I do others, but for other outlets. Like for sure. example, I work for Seton Hall University with their uh, sports poll. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of when they get the results of the poll, they do a podcast based on the results. 
the two podcasts that I own, one is a sports show sure. with a cool story, a cool background, and then I do a comic book show, uh, like a superhero genre type show. Halls um, of Justice. The Hall of Justice. Hall of Justice. The idea behind, I'll tell that story first. The idea was in 2015, I had gotten a job to work with Wizard Entertainment. I know Wizard. Yeah. yeah. Not Wizards of the Coast, but Wizard. No, no. It was, it's Wizard. They used to do the magazine. Yeah. Wizard Magazine. Yes. And then they do the Comic-Cons. Mm -hmm. So the, there's Wizard Chicago and Wizard Philly and Wizard this. And they had made a deal with this company called Cinedime to create something called Con TV. And what Con TV was going to be was, you ever watch uh, ESPN College Game Day? Sure. Where they put their anchor desk in the middle of a college campus and you've got screaming Alabama fans in the background? They said, why don't you do that in a Comic-Con mm -hmm. with all the fans in the background? I said, oh, what a cool idea. So we did these six shows. I signed to do these six shows. And when I was at the cons... I was meeting all these people, actors, artists, writers. Like I was so amazed by this genre. And I said, where could I continue these relationships? Mm -hmm. And that's when a friend of mine who I'd worked with at ESPN, he said, I want to help you start a podcast. And I said, oh, I'd love to do this podcast. But then, you know, if you looked at what superhero podcasts were, they were nerdy they were they you know and i don't mean to disparage anybody who's listening but they were like two guys were debating whether spider-man could beat the hulk like like it was not it wasn't compelling to me no and i wanted something that would skew older mm -hmm. because you know i'm in my 40s and i yeah. wanted it to be why can't grown-ups talk about superheroes too and so that's when I came up with the name of Hall of Justice, because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice was, you're our demographic. Sure. And if it doesn't resonate with you, if you're you know 17 and you're on iTunes looking for podcasts and you see Hall of Justice, you have no idea what that is, you're not what we're looking for. Sure. And so that was the idea behind the name. And um, the show's been successful so far. Got very lucky. Episode 28, which was in the beginning of 2016, I mean, I was just trying anything <laughs> at that point. I was working with NBC Sports Radio, and it was the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And the Super Bowl is all about directions and promotional events. Like, all these athletes are pitching some random Major advertising project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Zack Snyder, the director of Batman v Superman, but at the time, Batman v Superman hadn't come out yet. But Man of Steel had. Right. The yes. first Henry Cavill movie right. where it's like With a Michael military Shannon. movie. Yes. Yes, Michael yes. Shannon. Plays and, Zot. Right. Right. And Lois Lane finds out who he is, and then six minutes later, she's on an alien spaceship, all in the first half hour. Um, <laughs> so many things happen in that movie. It's such a wackadoodle movie. And now they've replaced Henry Cavill, apparently. But the idea was, yes. Zack Snyder was coming on the show because he was doing this promotional thing for Doritos. I respect people's work, no matter what it is, even if it's not something I like. Okay. So I will not disparage your you work. You respect it as work. Uh, correct. Understood. Correct. Yeah, sure. And so what I said to him, I'll tell you the exact question. I said, man, people are really passionate about your movies. Mm -hmm. I said, no one walks out of your movie and says, hey, that was great popcorn. People either love your movies or they can't stand your movies. <laughs> that was how I phrased it. And Zack Snyder disparaged Superman fans. Oh. He took a shot at Superman fans on my show. I don't know for you. Well, I didn't know that at the time. Right. I just was like, I didn't know what to do with such information. Sure. So I posted it. Like I posted every podcast at the time. We were with a company called the Blog Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. 
I put it out there. That was it. I wiped my hands clean of the whole thing. And Hollywood Reporter and Variety and like every superhero website under the sun picked up on this. Someone heard it and it went crazy viral. And in about five months, 250,000 people listened to it. My God. And now the show has a life because what I was seeing was a bump for the previous episodes. We had done 27 other episodes that nobody heard. Sure. So that's when I got really motivated to make it work because I can't get Zack Snyder every week, nor can I get somebody to say really derogatory things. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to come up with something. And then, so that's when we came up with... I met this great artist who's a writer and an artist, this guy named Victor Dandridge. He's based out of Ohio, and he works for Wizard. And we tried to review The Force Awakens, and we couldn't do it without telling the plot. So I said, let's scrap that. Let's take a day, come back tomorrow night, and let's try it with all the spoilers. So, I mean, the movie's been out for three years, so right. I'm not sp- Han Solo dies. Right. And so it became like a sociological experiment because the idea was, like, uh, people can be vicious on Twitter, but what you don't see on Twitter the day that Star Wars... That place War- is a wasteland. I no, hate no, no, that. No. I, I But really you don't see it. on the day that Force Awakens comes out, you don't see a bunch of people tweeting, Han Solo's effing dead. Like, you don't, you don't do that. But if you do a podcast where we have some credibility from the broadcasting world and we say, warning... Don't press play unless you've seen this movie or you don't mind knowing the plot. Major spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We found out triple the downloads. Oh, of course. (laughs) Because someone's going to see these movies and they respect that there's that buffer. There's that one level. So we're not ruining anything. And as a matter of fact, if you saw it, we're enhancing. And so now every time there's a movie like that, I need to review it for the show. Where do you do your podcast out of? Uh, depends. Uh, if I can do face-to-face, I have a really cool recording software that's portable. I have a, a studio that I built over the years from my days from ESPN and from Sirius and what I could pilfer from both. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Just in case the police are listening, that's all I can tell you. Uh, so, But I have this studio and I try to use it. That's awesome, man. So I got to ask you, because, you know, I'm an actor. and No I, kidding. And, yeah. So, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite Jersey Chronicle movie? The Kevin Smith movies? Mm-hmm. Well, it's my favorite podcast. Is it? His podcasts are my f- absolute, he does two podcasts that I listen to religiously. The Hollywood Babylon, and he does, well, it used to be called Fat Man on Batman, but now it's, uh, he changed it to Fat Man Beyond. Which I think Fat is great, Man Beyond, that's which I so think awesome. Which is great. Uh, those two shows are, that's top of my queue. Like, that's the first thing I'll listen to. Oh, that's so uh, good. They come out, you know, usually once a week. He's going to make a damn movie, Kevin Smith, so that means the podcasts are going to, no, I can get hours of podcast content. All your movies are going to be is 90 minutes. What, what am I doing? <laughs> Spoken like a true junkie. I love <laughs> it. That's awesome, man. I, I always think about which one of my Jersey Chronicles I, I like the best. But which one of the movies? Yeah. 
Well, I grew up near that convenience store. I just did Ming's podcast. Oh, you uh, did? Do you know Ming? Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. He's been on Hall of Justice a bunch. Yeah, he, he runs a Shared Universe. Uh, yes. And yeah, down in down, Central Jersey. Exactly, uh, down in Eatontown. And my buddy CJ Cullen uh, runs a podcast called Hang On To Your Shorts, mm. uh, which is down there because he has a film festival that's oh, cool. down in that area. So, uh, yeah, and Ming is always there, and he's so cool. Great Ming story mm-hmm. with all those guys. My mother had back surgery in the hospital in Red Bank right near that store. And so we go down there to be with my mom. We see her off. She goes to have surgery, and we're waiting in the waiting room. And, you know, it's tense. Like, how's the surgery going? Whatever. And the doctor comes out, and the doctor says, says uh, she's okay. She's just she's going to be out of it for, like, 90 minutes. Come back in 90 minutes, and you'll see her. So I don't do anything on Facebook. I don't do anything on Twitter. I don't say anything. All my relatives are interested in knowing how my mom's doing. I decide to take a walk and see Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash, and I walk in there. And it turns out that Mike Zapsick and Ming, Ming, right? They're sports fans. So they knew who I was from sports. That's awesome. So we made that connection right away. Like I knew them, they knew me, and it was immediate connection. So as I'm leaving, they go, Oh, we gotta take a picture. So I take this picture like of me with my arms around these guys, and I quickly race to Facebook. Hey, look who I met today. And my family's like, Really? That's the update on your mom? <laughs> 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 that's so awesome. It's funny. Yeah, it's one of my two favorite stores, and one of them closed in Red Bank. It used to be the old Doc Martin store that was down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I used to buy all my Doc Martin stuff. Did you grow up near there? No, I grew up around here, oh, around wow. the Montclair area. But you used to go down there all the time, especially during mm-hmm. the summertime and, and everything. And Red Bank's awesome because it's like a Montclair or a Summit or a, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of R- Ridgewood, yeah, or whatever nice. area of Jersey you're, you're happy to be in. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. So let's talk about some, maybe some Prince stuff. So you worked with Prince for worked some with, time. Not and you, for. Not for, with. Big thing. No symbols on checks. No symbols <laughs> on checks, exactly. That was told to me by a sax player that Prince said. He said, the minute a symbol shows up on your check, you look at him completely differently. He becomes a boss. I worked with him. I didn't work for him. No, no, so, yeah. totally makes sense. That and you're wearing difference. a Prince t-shirt today which is very, very cool, sign Thank of the you. times. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. How'd you get into that? How did that relationship develop? Well, I was a big Prince fan growing up. Mm-hmm. I love telling my origin story with Prince was I was 10 years old when Purple Rain came out, and it wasn't the music that attracted me at first. There was a rumor in the lunchroom that <laughs> there was a naked girl in Purple Rain. So this kid Eric and, my, and me, we were like, we got to sneak in, and how, our moms are never going to let us see a rated R movie, so we asked them to take us to drop... You know, your moms used to drop you off I at the movie. I pulled that same crap, too. I, yeah. We went to see Howard the Duck, because mm-hmm. they were starting at the same time, and we got up, we snuck out of Howard the Duck, and walked into Purple Rain, and I was amazed by the music. And I remember the next week, with my allowance money, I bought the cassette, the Purple Rain soundtrack, and we didn't have a cassette player in my house. 
because 1984, like not you didn't have. No one work. had. Yeah, right. not it, a lot it, of people it, had. They it, were yeah. they were just starting to get on the scene. But I had bought the cassette because my mom had a cassette player in her car. So for like a whole week, I would offer to go to the grocery store with her. Like I would run errands with her. Yo, you want to go to the cleaner? Sure. Can I play my tape? And the song "Darling Nikki" came out. And the line was, I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. And I never saw my mother's hands hit eject faster than <laughs> that. And there's a great irony for what happens next because the next day my father comes home from work with a present for me, and it's Thriller. Oh, wow. Because that was wholesome. Thriller was wholesome. Right. And which guy was on trial? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just saying. Well, they were both out there, I'm going to say. As creatives, both musical geniuses in their own way, certainly, but certainly both out there. Yeah, so I became more of a fan because I wasn't allowed to listen to it. I remember buying his next album, Around the World in a Day, but I had to sleep on Parade and Side of the Times and Love Sexy. He was naked on the cover. I couldn't buy that. <laughs> like, there's no way you can buy those things. So it got to be something very personal for me. You remember the Columbia House had like seven oh, tapes for How a penny? How do you ever get off that mailing list? I got his whole backlog, like, wow. all, all the back albums. And that's how I really got involved. And then 89 happened and Batman happened. And once... This uh, is Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah, yeah. Michael yeah. Keaton Batman. And, and he, Prince did of the course. Prince did the soundtrack. Sure. And that was something like I could publicly be a Prince fan again. And then I can't reveal all of this, but something really cool happened in 92. Mm -hmm. I changed my name. You did. And so did he. But like the same month. <laughs> and... He had a line in a, either an interview. He said, if you're always with me, you never have to call me. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, like, when do you ever call somebody by their name? You go, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? Right. Like, you could be nameless. And I was struggling with identity. I was really young. And so it really resonated with me. And I think Prince's best work is that 92 to 97 range, like those albums, you know, Chaos and Disorder and Crystal Ball and The Gold Experience. Like, that's some of my favorite music of all time. And I really became a huge fan. So then fast forward now to 2012, and I got a freelance gig working for a company called Spreecast. Okay. Which if any of your listeners know, the RIP Spreecast uh, was created by the two guys who created StubHub. Mm -hmm. So they had kind of... Good business. Yeah, kinda, absolutely. They kind of hit it big, you know? Yeah, solid. So I worked for them for a good year and a half. I was doing primarily sports content because that was my main gig. Sure. And then they asked me over a beer. They, we were sitting over a beer and they said, hey, um, when you have time, do spreecasts that just fit your personality. So the first spreecast I did was uh, I did one on Superman Returns. Oh, wow. Because, again, that's another movie. Like, nobody's on the fence. They either love that movie or they can't stand that movie. So anyway, they said, oh, you know, keep doing like that. Who's your favorite musician? I was like, oh, I was a big Prince fan. And they were like, do a spreecast about that. So, I mean, at this point, like, you basically heard my whole Prince life. Like, mm -hmm. that, that was yeah. all I had at that point. And it turns out that one of the engineers at spreecast worked on his website. And so they're like, do more print shows. Print shows resonate. Like, do more. So I went on Twitter, and I found this blogger. His name is Dr. Funkenberry. It's <laughs> a great name. So good. Because Prince had a band member in the Revolution named Dr. Fink. So Dr. Funk. And anyway, he was this blogger. And I reached out to him on Twitter, and I asked him to be a guest because he either knew him or was just a super fan. Sure. And... 
either way, he was a great guest, and we had him on. It was like October 2012, and that was what I thought was it. We you know, kind of wiped our hands of the whole thing, and that was going to be it. And then New Year's Eve 2012 into 2013 comes. And this is unbeknownst to me, mm-hmm. but Prince reached out to the blogger and said, you know, it's 2013, like, do a video, make your site bigger, you know? And the only thing that, at the time, that this guy knew how to do was the spreecast. Mm-hmm. So he calls me up on New Year's Day. That's why I remember the day. Sure. New Year's Day, he says, can we do another one? And I said, sure. <laughs> what do I care? Like, I got nothing else. Yeah. So we scheduled it for a Wednesday night, the 10th. So it was either like January 8th or January 9th. And in those eight days, between the time that we set up the show, Prince joined Twitter. <laughs> and he did so under an assumed name because he was promoting this girl band that he had. Mm-hmm. And no one knew at the time who that was mm. and why he was tweeting out the link. What was the assumed name? Do you remember? It was uh, at Third Eye Girl, which became the name of his band. Sure. But at the time, nobody knew that. Right. And so Third Eye Girl was tweeting out a link to this show. Dr. Funkenberry is tweeting out a link to the show. Prince must be involved. That's all it was. And at the time, he wasn't. And 55,000 people logged on to Spreecast. (laughs) At the time, it was like a Spreecast record. And they were thrilled. And so I called the blogger. We do this show. We had him on again. I do this show. Now there's 55,000 people logged on in 48 hours. Yeah. And I texted the blogger and I just said, hey man, 55,000. He goes, I got to tell Prince this. I was like, tell Prince this? Okay. <laughs> Two days later, I'm at the grocery store. I'm picking out melons. As you a, do. I get a phone call that says, I have a proposition for you. We'll get guests. He'll give us show notes and he'll send us music to play on the show. And I was like, who is this? Like, come on, you're, you're joking. And he says, the only stipulation is he wants it every week. So now instead of Wednesday at 10, it's every Wednesday at 10. And so we started doing it. And in essence, he was never our producer in name. Mm -hmm. He was very behind the scenes. We never said we were affiliated, even though we were going live to Paisley Park. (laughs) We never said we were affiliated. The big moment for the show happens, I think, in March or April Billboard magazine does a cover story on Prince, mm-hmm. and in it, he mentions the show. And the reporter winds up writing that before she could interview him, he made her watch an episode of our show. And so we were in Billboard. Like, now all of a sudden it was taking off, and we did it for a good long year, and it was amazing. I met him twice. The music that he sent us was wild. I mean... It, it's not bootlegs if you got it from him. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? of course. Yeah. But I have some crazy, crazy music, and it was a great experience. So it was awesome. crazy. It was a, a really fun time. <laughs> For a sports guy and a superhero nut to be able to hang with a musician like that was, was pretty neat. And a great big thank you to Alex Aldea for sitting in guest hosting for me on the East Main podcast. Stay tuned next week for part two of his conversation. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of East Main Media. Special thanks to audio engineer J.P. Conk and senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thanks for listening.